Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, December 19, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. And guess what? This is our last live broadcast for the year 2018. Hard to believe that we've come to another end to another year, but we're happy to have you with us tonight. Uh, and tonight's open mic night, as you can tell. Uh, myself, James, Shay's here. We may have Jared and Melissa drop in later on. But uh, we're just going to kind of discuss a few topics tonight. But the main priority for tonight's show is your interaction. So if you have any questions for us throughout the show, send them our way. If you want to know what the weather's going to be like, maybe this weekend or maybe a chance of a white Christmas or are we expecting to see any snowstorms in the coming weeks, let us know. Send us your questions. Uh, we'll be happy to answer them uh, throughout the show. And uh, you can do that many different ways. We're streaming live on Facebook Live and Periscope. So if you um, send a comment, those um, outlets, we will be monitoring them for, uh, for your questions. Uh, also on the YouTube page. And if you're listening on the podcast, well, I guess you could tweet them to us if you wanted to at <laughs> Carolina WX Group. So uh, first topic tonight is it's a very busy time of the year. I hope all of you all, all of you are, uh, prepared for Christmas. I'm not. I still have got some shopping to do, but uh, it is a very busy time of the year and a busy uh, travel few day. A busy travel few days coming up. Thursday, Friday normally are the uh, some of the busiest travel days of the year. And with that, I want to toss it to our good friend James Barton, who has the latest travel holiday travel forecast, James. And essentially here in the Carolinas, it's going to be a wet one. Yeah, very much so. And actually, Triple Eight tells us, Scotty, that tomorrow of all days will be one of the busiest travel days of the year. And so you're very right that we are watching a lot of rain that is going to be coming through. Let's pop up the future cast, get our weather nerd hats on, let you know that we're looking at the HRR. This is the latest full run of the HRR, and we're going to walk it through time starting with tonight. You'll know here in the Carolinas, we've had very pleasant weather the last few days. But as we march our way into the future, you will start to see that precip is going to start to come in to the picture as we start heading into Thursday. So if you are heading out the door tomorrow, there's a very good chance that you're going to hit quite a bit of rain, especially starting first upstate South Carolina, western North Carolina, as this system is going to be taking a southern track. If you'll remember from our snowstorm not two weeks ago, we talked about that southern track. This is very similar. I think Shay's going to be talking about El Nino coming up and explaining why in a moment. But you can see that by the time we get to later on Thursday, most of the Carolinas is looking at heavy rain. This is as far out as the HRR goes. This is one of our hourly high-resolution models. We get a snapshot every hour for the next few days, but it only goes out so far. So let's switch over to the NAM. A uh, little weather nerd trivia for you. We don't necessarily see every hour, but we can see further out into the future. So again, here is the start of Thursday as we go through the overnight tonight, pretty clear. And then as we get into tomorrow, we start to see that precip coming on in. Uh, it's going to be, for the most part, impacting a lot of the Carolinas on Thursday. Some heavy rain in some areas. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we're watching for the flooding potential in some areas because uh, we've had a very, very rainy year. We're going to be talking about that coming up this hour as well, too, to let you know how far ahead of average we are. We have a lot of surplus rain. Uh, the grounds are very saturated from the rain that we've had recently. You can see as we make our way from Thursday into Friday here on this NAM run resolution, we will still have rain throughout the Carolinas on Friday. It will not be as widespread as it will be on Thursday, but you will probably still see sprinkles of rain here and there if you will be traveling 95, 85, 77, any of those roads on Friday. If you're heading to the mountains or heading through the mountains late Friday into Saturday, expect that precipitation to 
return to snow, maybe ice in some places, that will probably slow you down even more. And uh, the other thing I want to show you here as I go ahead and I put this into loop is not only are we talking about this precipitation making its way through the Carolinas, but Scotty and Shay, the Carolinas are full of so many transplants that if you're driving anywhere along the eastern seaboard this weekend, you can see that you will probably need those lights on and wipers on because this rain is going to be following you up the coast. So uh, that's a look at your holiday travel forecast. We can talk a little bit more about Christmas Day, but I can already see all of the live questions coming in. Folks watching on Facebook Live, YouTube, and Periscope, which is great, guys, because we talked about before the show, we want to make this as conversational as possible tonight. That's right. And, James, you were talking about the snow uh, let me tell you, the North Carolina mountains, if you're a Boone, uh, down towards Avery County, maybe into the Smoky Mountains, maybe if you're heading to Gatlinburg this weekend or something like that, uh, you're going to see some good snow up there. One to three inches is possible. Three inches in the higher elevations, maybe one to two inches there in Boone. But uh, we can't promise you a white Christmas, but it's snowing a couple of days before. Can we count that as a white Christmas Eve Eve Eve? James, Shay, maybe something like that. And I was just <laughs> laughing while you were talking about Boone because uh, uh, Brent on Facebook is asking about. Are you ready? Here's the first reference: the polar vortex. He's asking about the polar vortex. We are actually going to talk about that. Should we go ahead and talk about that tonight? I think so. I think the audience is in charge tonight. We do have a live event coming up that we're going to be taking at 840 as some astronauts on their way home for the holidays would be undocked from the International Space Station. But until we get then, uh, yeah, do you guys want to talk about this polar vortex? I I think we should because apparently it's going to chase you through your front (laughs) yard into your house and out the back door. That's right. It's coming for you. It's coming for your holiday turkey. Yeah. Well, Shay, Shay, I, Shay I know you uh, shared something on your uh, social media accounts. Uh, I think it was last night or something. Big story in the weather world is the polar vortex. And let's kind of before I'll let you kind of get into the behind the, the dynamics and stuff. But before we get into that, the polar vortex happens almost every year. It's always up there. It's a low pressure uh, in the North Pole and even in the South Pole. It's just not more recognizable because we're in the northern hemisphere but it's always there and when we see uh the winter time roll around we normally see uh, maybe two three times a, a winter season uh the polar vortex kind of one of the little lobes of energy breaks off and sends a rush of colder air into the area and uh shay we're watching the uh the north poles right now because we're starting to see some warming up there shay and i'll hand the ball off to you and let you talk about how the warming in the North Pole sends the cold air somewhere else. Yeah, that's about right, Scotty. So what it is, um, I'm going to try to pull up a, a visual here. This is from our friend Jonathan Erdman of the Weather Channel, and he does some really great articles on the polar vortex. And basically what we have is uh, usually over the North Pole, we have a, a fairly solid area of low pressure that sits there for most of the year. In the wintertime, it brings extreme cold air over that area, it keeps the extreme cold air over that. But as we start to get into a winter setup, especially with El Nino starting to develop, we get some higher pressure built up in the Northern Pacific and things start to happen. We start to get ridges building up around this low pressure. And then that polar vortex, which is mainly a stratospheric polar vortex is displaced. And so then that low wobbles around the globe. It gets off of its tilt. Sometimes it can get displaced into two or three different pieces. And so we'll have a very cold, European winter and a very mild US winter or North American winter, I should say. And so this this low will wobble around the globe and it sort of goes in tandem with what's called MJO or Madden Julian oscillation. There's there's all kinds of global factors going on. There's teleconnection, 
to systems across the globe that, that receive, we receive these cold air injections and then the polar vortex gets displaced and heads down into Canada in North America and sends a really, really cold air mass all the way down to the deep south. And that's sometimes when we get these winter storms that develop all the way down into Texas and sweep across the East Coast. So we'll be watching that for January. The signal looks rather mild and warm for most spots heading into the latter half of December, mainly for the Southeast region, the East Coast. But as we get into January, we start to see this trend where uh, the polar vortex gets displaced and it, and it sort of wobbles around the globe and it eventually uh, causes some cold air, uh, basically injections down into the interior of North America all the way down through the United States and into even northern Mexico. We've seen snow from that kind of displacement. But you kind of get an idea here. Um, I'm not sure if this video, see if, it, if it'll give us a quick visual. And it looks like it's not giving us the visual just yet. But either way, it's a good article if you're following from Jonathan Erdman and uh, give him a follow on Facebook and check out his article that he wrote. There is a little video to go with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, they say, you know, weakens soon, which means it displaces to another part and, and wobbles around. So it gets off axis. That's the bottom line. We'll be looking at that signal. I'll talk about El Nino here in just a little bit whenever you guys are ready. Yeah, and Jared, uh, Jared Smith joining us tonight. Uh, I saw this example from our friend Brad Panovich say, and I don't have a soccer ball like he did, but I do have a foul ball that is here in my room. And Jared, kind of explaining where this cold air is is a mystery because we don't know where it's going yet. It's kind of like seeing this baseball, and if I pour water on it, there's no guarantee that water is going to go on one part of this baseball or the other. Uh, and that's where we're at right now in the models is we know this cold air is coming, but we just don't know if that cold air is going to get into North America, maybe over into Europe or Asia. And that's what we got to watch for the next few days or a few weeks. Yeah. I've been seeing pretty much uh, every possible solution discussed. I've been seeing, uh, you know, nobody knows, right? I, I think that's the, that's the key. Nobody knows what, what it's going to do. It all depends on, you know, where the blocking sets up and where that drain of, cold air opens up. If it opens up again in January, you know, I mean, that's certainly could happen after, you know, relatively, I don't know. Would you call this December mild? I don't know. <laughs> Truth be told, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a little mild end to the month. Um, we certainly could see it happen. It's, you know, it's happened several times in the last few years. It, happened, it definitely happened uh, 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 this past winter. That's for sure. So, you know, you know, let's see, you know, let's, let's not, you know, let's let's try and focus on what is predictable, and understand that the potential is there. But like, you know, but we don't know. I mean, I, and that's okay. Like, it, it is okay to not know where this is going. You know, where where will where will uh, Scotty's melted polar ice cap on his baseball end up? Who knows? You know, um, we have some <laughs> it's, ideas. It's winter time, right? So I mean, it's just a matter of time before it swings around and, and, and the cold air. We can even have without this polar vortex displacement, you can get the jet stream, the polar jet, take a dive. Um, you know, then you get the subtropical jet lifting up from the north. It usually recedes down to a lower latitude in the winter time, and then the polar jet comes down across the United States, and then you get those two together, and right where they pinch together is where you get that wintry precip, and even above to the north up in Great Lakes, where it's known where the air is colder. Then that's that's a definite. But we always we're watching for any other displacements of air, and, and um, like I said, teleconnection even. Believe it or not, Western Pacific super typhoons get swept up into the North Pacific jet and give a huge injection of energy all the way down into North America. And that's what causes those Aleutian lows up in Alaska. And it just, man, gnarly weather just dumps right down here. And so 
we look for those and we call those Rossby waves or jet stream dips where you get these really big swings of energy down across the U.S. And that's what we're looking for as we head into January. It looks rather mild, like I said, rather mild for the eastern U.S. for the latter half of this month. Yeah, yeah, I'll it, definitely. Oh, sorry, guys. No. Uh, one, one last thing. You know, you don't have to have polar vortex to get cold. Ask <laughs> our good friend Cad, Mr. Yes, Wedge. <laughs> so, so, true. so you know, while we, well, you know, you know, while we do need to look on a, a much broader scale uh, to perhaps try and get an idea of what the long term is going to do. Again, the devil is in those uh, synoptic and mesoscale details, and. Uh, and, and that's where your sensible weather is going to come from, folks. So don't let the polar vortex scare you too much. I think that's the, that's the thing. It's just this thing that's out there, and now it's, and it sounds catchy, so we're going to talk about it all the time. It's such a yeah. buzzword. It is, and, you know, you, y'all are both just saying there. It's something that um, be careful where you get your information from. And I'm not down in the national media at all because their main primary focus is, is the news. And, and when we see something catchy in the weather world, they'll talk about it. But the polar vortex is, is, is really cool, but it, it's nothing really to hype up. We, we see this every winter. So it, it's not like it's coming to eat you. Like I think Jay or, Jay or, or James said earlier, it's, it happens a lot and uh, it just happens to, to, to maybe be affected the East coast this year. So we'll just see. Yeah, Can I, I bring mean, up a technical the, thing? It's, it's in the manual, right? It's in. I mean, it's in the. Uh, it's been in the WMO handbook in the in the dictionary for the WMO for now, you know, since the mid fifties. So, yeah. like, yeah, this ain't new, baby. <laughs> it's in the dictionary. <laughs> um, well, I, can, I can launch us into uh, talk a little bit about El Nino and what, what it's going on with it. We do have a new report out since our last show. Yeah, and one second, Shay, and we're going to get into that. Um, I, I don't know if I just chickened everyone out or what happened was there were a bunch of Facebook Live comments coming in, and then I put them up on the screen, and everyone stopped. So if you're watching on Facebook, can somebody just say hi so I can know whether or not this thing is working? <laughs> Shay, <laughs> go ahead. Take it away to El Nino, my friend. All right. I think, I mean, I still have it live here, so it looks like it's, it's still working. Uh, so I'll go ahead and share a screen. And, you know, we're, we're getting into the winter months now, and um, – a lot of analysis is going into whether or not the El Nino is going to form. And so uh, the, NA, the CPC, if we look at ocean analysis, we look at the El Nino region, and we showed that the water temperatures. Now, we look for sea surface temperatures to have this point, this plus 0.5 right here. This is 0.5 degrees Celsius above normal. So we look for this to be a constant for a long period of time, about three months, six months. Uh, we, we look for a, you know longevity with this over the, the average mean. And so what we get... Uh, what it looks like since September is a pretty strong signal that we're heading into El Nino. Now, the uh, the ENSO diagnostic from the CPC uh, shows that we are still under El Nino watch. So that is our current alert system status. I suspect probably by next month we will go into a full one El Nino. Now, if we look down in the charts, we look at this plume viewer right here. Let me zoom in on this just a little bit. So many lines. Yeah, yep, yep. So th this is the uh, meat and potatoes of, of – uh, uh, all of this is the meat and potatoes of the report, but this is sort of a, a generalized guidance. Now, the blue line we look for in the CPC consolidated model guidance, there's a lot of agreement with a higher or stronger El Nino, I should say. So you're looking at, at sea surface temperatures gaining all the way up to maybe a degree above normal uh, Celsius, that is, which is significant for the equatorial Pacific in this region. And this is what's going to cause a lot of uh, variation in the weather. So we end up with the El Nino region, which is right here, it spans El Nino 4, or sorry, Nino 4 and Nino 3 regions. 
but this is basically where it's coming from where the sea surface temperatures are warmer and this will drive a lot of the climate to changing along the United States. So going back to, see if I can find it. Here we go, US ah. impacts for this is, we can see that the subtropical jet, this pink right here, extended Pacific jet stream, we can call this a subtropical jet because it brings lots of moisture off the equatorial region up along it. And this is a loft, this is a, you know, really high up in, in the atmosphere and it brings moisture training aloft in the atmosphere, provides an abundance of moisture, we call these atmospheric rivers at times where we get this moisture train aloft and we, all you need is an upper low to dip down across the United States to get to really dip down into that moisture and it causes these rain events exactly like we're going to be getting tomorrow in the southeast region. This seems to be the pattern what we've been on the last few weeks and we've been getting one system after another one low pressure system across the northern Gulf states and sweeping up across the coastal US on the east coast and the mid-Atlantic region and so this is what the trend is we get a wetter than normal for um, Let's see, what are the normal for the southeast region? A little bit drier in the Ohio Valley area down into the Tennessee Valley. Uh, warmer up here because we end up with blocking areas of low pressure and, and we get a ridge of high pressure here that tends to North Pacific high and then the low creates warmer air up along Canada and all the way up in parts of Alaska. The bottom line is we look for this moisture training along to the south being lifted up further north than normal. Now, La Nina, you would see this dipping down across the Caribbean a little bit more, a little bit sharper on its... Uh, on its trend. So that, that's basically what we're looking for. Now, the cold air tends to be a little bit above average for the southeast region. So just a matter of time for these two mix and we see more wintry events start to break out. One month outlook for the uh, the NOAA one month outlook shows above average temperatures for the next 30 days. This could change in the second, I'm sorry, the first half of January. We could see this change a little bit. This is just probability. Um, and we get down here, we see above average precipitation based on the latest El Nino chart. So uh, this looks to be spot on lately, and we can actually verify that with the latest jet stream. You can see the dip in the jet stream. We just talked about that. We do have an upper low coming out of Texas across the northern Gulf states, and that's drawing a lot of moisture. We can see that here on radar right there. So here comes the moisture train, and as that moves on, then the jet stream, I won't get into too much more detail, but you see how it dips, brings the moisture up. And then it settles back down again. And then we get that moisture connection back to the Pacific once all over again. You can see the jet stream settling down. And then we get that moisture coming in across. So this is sort of the trend of what's been going on for the last, uh, I don't know, a few, three, four weeks or so. Very much in line with what El Nino signals for the southeast region. So we, we've got to really watch for this cold air diving down as we get into the first half of January. Because that, with this moisture train being kind of steady, we can look for these kind of rainy patterns. We're already saturated. Our ground is super saturated in the southeast. It won't take but about an inch or so. We're looking at flash flood watches and warnings. Uh, that'll go for tomorrow. Jared could probably, he may have some updated information on that, but I know the Weather Service Charleston and, and other Weather Service offices, WFOs across the entire region are raising the red flag saying, we've had a lot of rain. We've got to be on the watch for flood, uh, flash flooding. So this is going to be the typical pattern. I think we may dry out a little bit over Christmas and the next week we get high pressure building over us. Uh, and then after that, we get another slug of moisture coming. So, 
And we're going to be talking about, we, we have a severe weather uh, threats, uh, as you know, coming up on the South Carolina coast. We have lots of questions about coming up about the, uh, the holiday forecast. We're going to get to all of that. What we want to do right now is take you to a live event that is going to be taking place in just the next few minutes. Three astronauts aboard the International Space Station will begin their journey home to be with their friends and family for the holiday season. To set us up for what we're about to watch live, NASA explains how this whole operation works. You think your drive for <laughs> visiting the relatives is going to be rough check this out if it wants to play all right hold that thought we're coming back we're coming back live because that video doesn't want to play guys because this is a live show as you can also see on the left hand side of your screen We've got uh, all sorts of great live comments coming in. Continue to ask us those questions uh, during this NASA break. We will be talking more about the severe weather threat. We're going to be taking more of your questions. All that coming up here now is the NASA video. The uh, homecoming for Prokopiev, Gerst, and Anand Chancellor will begin uh, with the undocking of the uh, Soyuz vehicle from the Rosviet module, the undocking uh, to occur after about a 90-second opening of the hooks, springs on both sides of the interface will push off against one another to enable physical separation of the vehicle at 7.40 p.m. Central Time this evening. There will be uh, a period of about two orbits uh, for the Soyuz to separate to a safe distance away from the station for that deorbit burn that will last four minutes and 36 seconds in duration. The deorbit burn to occur at 10.10 and 52 seconds p.m. Central Time tonight. About uh, 28 minutes later, the pyrotechnic separation of the three sections of the Soyuz will take place. And again, the focus of attention is only on that center section, the descent module, that will be traveling in the direction of uh, the heat uh, repulsion uh, that will be ablated through a heat shield at the bottom of the spacecraft. Uh, that heat shield will be jettisoned a short time after uh, uh, the vehicle reaches the lower uh, regions of the atmosphere where the command uh, will be sent to open up first a drogue chute and then a main parachute. The vehicle then, uh, about 15 minutes after chute deploy, will settle down uh, to a landing on the of Kazakhstan just a second or two after the braking rocket, as they are called, on the bottom of the Soyuz vehicle fire just an instant before touchdown in a final buffering maneuver for the crew on board. And they uh, will be back on Earth at that point. The landing currently is scheduled at 11.03 and 21 seconds p.m. Central Time, 12.03 and 21 seconds a.m. Eastern Time on the 20th, tomorrow. And that will correspond to 11.03 and 21 seconds a.m. Kazakhstan Time on December 20th. The landing site coordinates currently are scheduled to be 47.20 degrees north latitude, 69.35 degrees east longitude, about 87 miles southeast of the remote town of Jezkazgan, where the uh, Russian Search and Recovery Forces, along with NASA and European Space Agency personnel, uh, have been uh, housed uh, since very early this morning when they flew from the staging city of Karaganda to the uh, northeast 
east of Jezkazgan and in Russian Antonov 26 uh, aircraft. They arrived in Jezkazgan uh, where they have spent uh, the night to their time during the day uh, U.S. time. Uh, before they are scheduled to make their way to the Jezkazgan airport a few hours from now uh, to begin boarding helicopters that will take them in sequential fashion down to the landing zone. Again, that landing zone about 87 miles to the south uh, east of the town of Jezkazgan. The uh, weather. We're looking live now outside the International Space Station. Where three astronauts, technically not all astronauts, one's a Canadian, one's an American, one's a Russian, are about to depart in that vessel you see right there. They're going to push back from the International Space Station on their way home. Let's take a listen in now to NASA coverage. And the hooks are now driving. Open. This will take about 90 seconds, at which point uh, the springs on both sides of the docking interface between the Soyuz and the Rosviet module will push off against one another to create the physical separation that will mark uh, the beginning of Expedition 58 on the International Space Station. We are standing by for the undock. We're standing by for physical separation of the Soyuz MS-09 from the International Space Station, and there it is. Dock, undocking confirmed at 7.40 and 30 seconds p.m. Central Time, right on time, as the International Space Station flew 252 miles over southeastern Mongolia. Yes, GS-01 is uh, illuminated. Please start the timer, Sergey. 
And there they go. We've got three more fellow human beings on their way home from the International Space Station. They will be landing in the coming hours, and we will be back with live coverage, courtesy of NASA TV, later this evening when they touch down. That will be kicking off uh, during the 10 o'clock Eastern hour with a touchdown expected uh, just after midnight Eastern. So if this is your cup of tea, keep it here on the YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope feeds for the Carolina Weather Group. And here's a look at Jared Smith, who is intrigued a lot by by this. Let's bring back in Jared Smith and the rest of the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, what would you think of that, Jared? Uh, you know, it's always cool. No, it's, it's, uh, it's remarkable that we've had that outpost up there for God, 20 years now, getting close to I mean, it's been up there as long as I remember at, at this point. I mean, and and it's still just astonishing. What's astonishing about Soyuz is that that is a very hard landing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember being at a I was at a NASA social for the last space show actually, and one of the questions was asked to uh, I want to say it was Doug Wheelock, um, Astro Wheels on Twitter, great guy. Um, he was like, "What what is the what is the roughest part of space flight?" He's like, "On the shuttle, the roughest part is going up." That's that's the hardest part because going down is just like basically like landing a plane, but on the Soyuz it's coming down because that thing is tumbling and you land in Kazakhstan you are not splashing down you are landing on just desert and it's going to be a and very so, rude welcoming back it's going to be like eleven degrees Celsius so what is that forty degrees Fahrenheit I mean here's here's the animation to show exactly what you were just describing push off against one another and to an you're end. you're right it's a tight little capsule I mean not that space travel is roomy but if we talk long enough this uh, animation will get to that touchdown and it's really just this little thing in a parachute bringing you yeah. back to earth yeah I mean the space shuttle was a uh, freaking uh, Ritz Carlton compared to what the Soyuz is and I mean the Soyuz keep in mind was is that's that's 1960s technology the Soyuz is uh 1960s, 1970s technology. The Russians are still using it, this. It's the equivalent of if the Americans were still using the Apollo program. Um, yes, but we got to give them this credit. At least they can get us to and from the International Space Station because we can't do that right now. Well, we're close. We're we're getting there, but um, you know, SpaceX is getting us close. But but yes, that's correct. We've been hitching ever since 2011. We've been hitching a ride. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, uh, on the Soyuz with the Russians and uh, and uh, I like to be a fly on the wall in some of those uh, capsule conversations. I'm sure it's been. I hope it's not been awkward. Um, but it's uh, very interesting in today's political age. We don't want to talk politics, but you're right. Our ride to and from the International Space Station is the Russians, Scotty. Yeah, it still you know, amazes. It, go ahead. It still amazes me. Like you just said, James, that we're going to see this touchdown a little bit after midnight east coast time it would take us longer to fly from north carolina to california you know <laughs> no I mean, TSA pre-check or anything. Me, it amazes me how quickly they can get back here to earth i mean and they're up in space right now i mean that's just crazy okay, so yeah we'll have that coverage throughout the evening that's why we wanted to bring that to you live during tonight's show but we got so many questions coming in hey, you can do see we have any canadians watching do uh, oh yeah we had a question did we want to know what a canadian astronaut is called Right, because I said three astronauts are on their way home, but one's a Russian cosmonaut, one's a U.S. astronaut, and I don't know what a uh, Canadian is, but I oversimplified it. You're right. I don't know. I don't know. I look forward to your letters. (laughs) Where are we going now, Captain? (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, let's talk about snow. We had a lot of questions. People wanting to know whether or not they're going to have a white Christmas. I don't think the answer is yes. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Yeah, for I mean, if you're into Carolinas. Line, yeah, for us along the coast, that's a no. It's a hard no. I think I saw your colleague Dave Williams give it a one-fourth of percent chance. Yeah, point point four, I think. Point five. I think it was lower. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty gracious. You know, a couple of days ago. Now it's probably you know closer to zero, and I think I can agree with that this time around. So. Hey, I know someone who has a history about white Christmases, though. Mm. You mean somebody who like keeps climate records and is really smart with data? Yeah. Mm. Wonder she, who it could be. I she wonder just, who that could be. She just got in from dinner. <laughs> I did just get in from dinner, so I'll try and answer some questions about White Christmas. No um, pressure, so Melissa, the, but the questions are on the side of the screen tonight. They are on the side of the screen tonight. Well, let's just first start off with just talking about what exactly is a White Christmas. Um, you know, some people think about White Christmas as being, you know, the per picture perfect Bing Crosby movie with the snow coming down. But climatologically, when we actually talk about a White Christmas, we're actually looking at the probability of having one inch of snow on the ground. So that snow could have fallen on December, you know, overnight, uh, Christmas Eve, or it could have fallen on a couple of days prior. But as long as there's one inch of snow on the ground, that's actually what the uh, National Centers for Environmental Information, you know, consider as a climatological white Christmas. Um, and with that being said, there really aren't that many places that have a high probability of having a white Christmas, um, just historically. So the, the place with the biggest probability of having a white Christmas in the Carolinas is actually, drumroll please, it would be Mount Mitchell with about a 41% chance of having a white Christmas in any given year. Right behind that is Grandfather Mountain, which is about 24%. But elsewhere in the Carolinas, it's very small percentage, less than a 10%, even less than a percentage chances in some locations. Um, but that doesn't mean we haven't had white Christmases in the past. Actually, um, I did some digging around in some of the climate records and I found um, instances of that one inch criteria in the 1930s. Um, 1945, 1947, 1962, 1963, um, and probably the big boy that everybody remembers would be 1989, and that was where, it, that was more of a coastal event where even Moorhead City had 16 inches of snow on the ground um, from that event, even on Christmas morning, and that was an event that happened prior to Christmas Day. So, but as for the probability of having a white Christmas this year, mm, it doesn't look good, guys. Doesn't look good. Melissa, yeah, James, I, and I can I can say why, um, and I'll just share a screen. This is the main reason why, and uh, we're going to use tropical tidbits again. This is GFS uh, guidance on this, and basically, and this looks like it, it likely going to verify. We have a large ridge moving out from the west to the east, and it's going to basically <clears throat> position right over the Carolinas Christmas Day. What that means, on a positive note, is that the weather should be pretty nice and pretty mild below the high. And even up along the western side of it, so it's it's almost like um, you know, little to no rain chance for Christmas. So it's gonna be nice, and it'll be on the warm side. Uh, You're wrong, side. Shay. You're wrong. That's not what the polar vortex told me. The polar vortex said there was a chance. Come on now. I I hear you. I hear you. So I'm just gonna do the temperatures real quick. Let's see what the temps may look like. And we're talking six days out, so a little bit can change here, but. 
Uh, we get into the afternoon. We're looking at uh, low 60s along the South Carolina, Georgia coast, maybe mid to upper 60s towards Florida. A um, little bit of cool air, upper 40s to near 50 for highs up in North Carolina. Um, but, you know, you get into the next day, the next day after that, you get it back up into the 60s. So pretty much the chances are, are very, very low for anything to happen along the coastal areas. Now, the mountains, as Melissa said, you got to be watching. They still have a still have some percentage of chance up that way. By the way, live PD is happening outside my house right now. And what are you doing inside then? I don't know, but the blue lights are just catching my attention here to the just off camera. Anyways. <laughs> It's open mic night, right? We can be a little yeah. fun. Well, I mean, we talked about it at the time start. Last... Oh, go ahead. Go. You, Jared, go. Wasn't it this time last year when Peter had the uh, the, the snowplow snow, incident? Snowplow. That's right. He did. He did. And remember, Chris, earlier this year, had the police outside his house while he was doing the show because he rushed in so quickly that he forgot to shut his truck door. I remember that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I almost started tonight's show live from a two-alarm apartment fire right down the street from my house. So, yeah, I mean, go out. If anything's happening outside, just let us know, Scotty. I'll, I'll let you know. They're still out there. <laughs> go ahead, James. Take it away. We're going down a bad road. Yeah, I think we're going to take we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the weather because that's what this show's about. We're going to be talking also about um, if you thought it rained a lot this year. You're correct. So we're going to talk about those uh, surplus rain totals we've got as we move up towards the end of the year. Just how much rain do you think we got? It was a number that astounded me when I looked here. Charlotte will break it down across the two-state area. Our break tonight, messages from the troops overseas who won't be home uh, for these holidays, but sent back these greetings to their friends and loved ones here in the Carolinas. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Petty Officer Jason Meredith from Air Station Kodiak in Kodiak, Alaska. I want to wish all my friends and family a happy holiday back home in North Carolina and Washington State. Say hi, Grandma and Nana, Josie. Hi, Grandma Wave. and Nana. Hi, Mom. We love you. This is Major Robert Maston from Concord, North Carolina, stationed at Camp Arifjan, Kuwait. Just wanted to wish my lovely family and guys back at the FOB a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Hello, this is Master Gunnery Sergeant Daryl Bryan, stationed in Okinawa, Japan with Marine Wing Headquarters Squadron 1. And this is my family. Lindsay, Lauren, and Georgina. And we wanted to wish a very special holiday season to all of our friends and family in New Bern, North Carolina. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays! Hi, I'm Major Adam Abeda, stationed with the 2nd Infantry Division at Camp Humphreys, Republic of Korea. I just wanted to say a quick uh, hi to my uh, beautiful wife and two lovely children, uh, Nicole Abeda and uh, Madeline and Finley Abeda in Fuquay Arena, uh, North Carolina. Merry Christmas. Hello, my name is Sergeant Vincent Molinaire, coming to you from Balrain. I just wanted to wish everyone a happy Merry Christmas to stay safe. And to my wife, Rachel, and my dog, Roxy, can't wait to see you guys. I'm Major Therese Little with the 1st Striker Brigade Combat Team, 4th Infantry Division, currently serving in Afghanistan. I want to say happy holidays to my grandmother, Annette in Norwood, North Carolina, and my aunt Sarita. Happy holidays and I love you. Hello, this is Sergeant Marcus Perez, deployed to Al-Yadid Air Base in Qatar. I'd like to say happy holidays to my family and friends back home in Havelock, North Carolina. I love you guys and I hope to see you soon. Hey, I'm Sean First Class Poster, 
wife Jessica Foster Taylor Amore Foster here in Kaiserslautern, Germany. We would like to wish our family in Harnett County, North Carolina, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We love you and can't wait to see you. Hey, I'm Sergeant Brittany Barino. I'm stationed here in Kaiserslautern, Germany. I just want to say to everybody back home in Marshville, have a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. I love you, Mama. I'm Staff Sergeant Corey Laws from Boomer, North Carolina, stationed at Kunsan Air Base, South Korea. I would like to wish my wife and two kids a happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. I love y'all and I'll see you soon. And we thank those men and women who are serving overseas uh, for their service and dedication. We hope they come back home safely to their friends and loved ones, and we thank them for sending back those messages. We'll have more coming up towards the end of the show. Uh, but we want to talk right now as we come up in the 9 o'clock hour with the panelists of the Carolina Weather Group about a severe weather potential here in the next few days. They were just fighting over it. I don't know if I'm going to Jared or if I'm going to Shay. Speak now, forever hold your peace, because here's Jared Smith with a breakdown I'll, of the severe weather. Yeah, yeah. I'll start. You know, I'll start for the coastal South Carolina. Yeah, there's a marginal risk of severe weather um, uh, in tomorrow's outlook. This stretches from just barely off. You know, it, it, it's it's mostly right along the coast. Um, all depends on how far inland the, the warmer air. You know, again, we have a little bit of a wedge pattern, and you get a little bit of that. that warm infection in there and and you know you can get uh, some spin-ups uh, ahead of the low and and you'll see some water spouts occasionally uh we've been in a marginal risk a few times in charleston uh through the last few storms and widespread rainfall has put the kibosh on that i expect that to happen again uh for much of south carolina um really rainfall is the issue we've had a lot of it um it's not had many places to go we've had a case where graves were floating out of a cemetery um, in downtown Charleston to get a general idea. And the last time we saw that was with, uh, I want to say it was with Matthew. So we've had some pretty significant rainfall here. And uh, that is by far the bigger concern. You could see one to two, three inches in some spots. Um, was taking a look at the flash flood guidance earlier from the uh, River Forecast Center. And one of our flash flood guidance is about two to three inches. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see some additional travel disruptions tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and people are going to start this holiday travel. You know, holiday travel is really going to begin in earnest tomorrow. Um, you know, we're going to start to see more people getting out on the roads and more people, you know, you know, getting out and about. And so if that is you, um, make sure you understand that there is the potential for some flooding, especially if you're going to be in downtown Charleston, if you're going to be trying to uh, commute down there if you're com coming to see people downtown, things like that. Um, we also need to watch some of the streams closely. We're going to be keeping a close eye on Church Creek and West Ashley. That one got perilously close, about as close to flood stage as you can get without actually hitting flood stage um, with the last rainfall uh, just a week ago. So we're going to need to keep an eye on the flood threat here. The greater severe weather threat is going to be in North Carolina. And Shay, I'm going to let you take that one. Um, talk about uh, the uh, Outer Banks, because that is a little bit more favorable. Yeah, that's right, Jared. So I'll go ahead and uh, share a screen real quick here. Um, let's see, James, as long as James knows, I'm sharing the screen. Yep, I've got you up. Um, I want to hear you talk about Outer Banks. And we also had a question from Gina about Florida. Okay. So we can see here the uh, SBC convective outlook for tomorrow. We'll, we'll see continue to see this updated. And a lot of times what we get, it really depends on direction of winds around that upper low that's coming across the northern Gulf states. 
So what we get is this giant slug of moisture with severe weather associated with it, pushing up across Florida and up into the Carolinas. The coastal zones are most susceptible because of the warmer waters of the Gulf Stream off the coast. Those are still running around in the upper 70s to near 80 degrees. That's a constant uh, thermocl or, or thermohaline current. So it's, it's very warm at the surface. It's a surface current and it can consistently provides warm water. So that becomes more or less what we would call an offshore artificial landmass. And so that provides a warm train for this moisture to become more convective, especially during the daytime and even more so at nighttime. The Outer Banks is, is looking like the, the slight or the higher risk for severe weather and possible tornadic activity up this way would occur based on where the Gulf Stream is. Now, if we look at our wind forecast, we can just take a quick look at Charleston and see the directions. And there's a reason for this as we get into tomorrow. <clears throat> if we end up with more of a southerly wind, that wind becomes more off the ocean. So if you think about it geographically speaking, that wind direction coming right into the coast, the shelf waters are pretty cool right now. And so what that does, while we're not in that category, is because our sea surface temperatures are very cool along the shelf. So when you get surface winds pushing into land off the ocean, what that does is it gives cool air training into the updraft process of these thunderstorms that are coming and it fizzles them out. So we end up with very few storms along the immediate coastline. A lot of them occur inland, further inland. But if you look out offshore and you see this Gulf Stream as that convergence pushes this slug of moisture up towards the outer banks, see how close the Gulf Stream gets. And that surface air is actually a lot warmer as it makes its way up into this area. And you get a lot of vorticity, you get a lot of water spout activity that occurs just off the coast of Cape Fear and runs right into the coastline into like the Oak Island, St. James area, uh, Southport, all the way up through Old Town. These places get hit by these water spouts. They come on to land as tornadoes. And then we also get some of that activity up into the Outer Banks into Pimlico. Now we do see some of the cooler waters here that will help save off. But just the proximity of the Gulf Stream, I think is one of the reasons why we see this slight uh, or this elevated chance for severe weather and tornadic activity right up along this area. I think for us down here where that south wind is moving right into the coast, away from the Gulf Stream along these cooler shelf waters, that's where we're going to see less of a chance. That's sort of my breakdown uh, based on what their criteria is going on. And they're, they're pretty well in tune with that. Thank you for that. Um, Gina, who's watching on Facebook Live, says she's going to be driving back from Florida on the 27th, I think she said. So I'm looking at, let's see, which one of these runs of the GFS is going to go out that far? This one is. So we're looking at the GFS. Let me center that up on your screen so you can see that a little bit better. We want to answer this for you. And we want to answer this for anyone else who may be driving around the southeast. So let's see, the 27th is going to be right about here. Now, mind you, this is a week out, so this could change a little, but we are seeing some moisture, which I think is in line with what Shay's been talking about, and we're going to have this, I think, throughout the winter, right, Shay, with kind of El Nino kind of pumping a lot of moisture here along the southern track? That's right. Anytime you're going to get low pressures, no matter where they are, wherever they develop, even across Texas, would be would draw even more moisture, but uh, this one looks like a, 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 a front mid or upper low across yeah. Iowa and across the Ohio Valley would draw a cold front through that area. So we get moisture training around Bermuda High. So in between that, they get sandwiched. Florida's right in the middle. Yeah. So I would say it's safe to say if you're returning from Florida a day or two after Christmas, you can expect to see some moisture. Let me pop this up real fast because if you're coming back from the northeast, 
Uh, let's switch this back here to the Mid-Atlantic. It has New York and everything in it as well, too. And again, this is all subject to change. We're just using this as generalities, but we can see that, um, you know, we could see... By the way, this is Monday night. Could we get snow in the mountains Monday night? Let's talk about that in a second. But uh, coming back after Christmas, here's that Wednesday. Not so bad if you're coming back on Wednesday from uh, the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Midwest. But again, here comes that same system we were just looking at that you can see. Guys, wow, on this Thursday, it's going to rain as people are leaving. And next Thursday, it's going to rain as people are coming back. Thanks, weather. Uh, Hey, uh, Scotty, since we're doing this all live, I'm rewinding this, rewinding this, rewinding this. What are your thoughts on uh, New Christmas Eve snow in the mountains? Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. It's it's really uh, over the past couple of runs have showed this. Um, we'll have to see what the continuation is. Um, I'm not too confident uh, because that's not really a northwest flow setup. So, um, but but we, they could see a, a few snow flurries, let's say um, Monday night, Christmas Eve night. But um, I don't think it's going to be too big of a deal. I was seeing where Gina was asking. Any chances of seeing snow between uh, December 26th and New Year's in the North Carolina mountains? And unfortunately, what James was just showing you with the GFS, uh, looks like we're going to have another rain system move up into the area. So uh, we have that snow potential Friday night. I think that's the best potential. There is a potential for maybe a few snow flurries, snow showers, um, late Monday night, Christmas Eve night. And then we... I don't want to say warm up, but we're a little bit mild for too mild for snow. Uh, but let's watch. Let's get through the first few days of January. But I would say after January 4th, January 5th, through the entire month of January into February, I think that's when we're going to start to see things really change up. I think we're going to start to see much colder air in the area. And I think we're going to continue to see this storm track that Shay's been talking about continue. So if you want to see snow in North Carolina, uh, mountains, foothills, Piedmont, upstate South Carolina, maybe even the Midlands, maybe even down to the coast. We'll see. I think the game really starts to open up once we get out of the first week of January. Um, would you guys like to comment on that? I, I was just kind of laughing at your generalities. <laughs> well, Joe Bastardi is a, a, a long-range forecaster, and I follow his stuff a lot. I'm not going to say I agree with everything, but I do follow his stuff and listen to his updates. And He's really been hitting on the fact after January 10th through mid-February, that kind of 30-day, 40-day span is going to be uh, pretty active. He called it, and I love this expression, and you guys jump in, please, if you want to. But he said, it's kind of like a, this winter is like an island. It started cold. We go into this warm sector maybe 20 days or so, mid to late December through the first week or so of January, and then – winter ends on a cold note. So there's kind of like that warm island in between two colder periods. And the cold period really worked out on the first part of, of winter. And it does look like we warm up this part. But I think as we go through January into February, I definitely think the possibility is there for some snow events, some winter events. Um, it's just as the, uh, the question is, can we get the cold air and the moisture to line up at the same time? We really had, um, and we're getting ready to talk about rainfall totals. Uh, we've not had a problem having the moisture in, and that's for sure. All we need is the cold air, and if the models continue to hit at what what could happen, we're definitely going to have that cold air in the area too. So, and that's when the polar vortex is going to hunt you down in the woods and come after you. So, <laughs> that's right. um, don't forget, everybody. Winter solstice is this Friday. 
Thank so goodness. This is going to be the shortest daylight day of the year. After that, the daylight days start the days start to get a little bit longer. So um, I'm on board yeah, with that. I think sunset at like 5:13 p.m. today, Eastern time. But looking at looking at this time last year was the polar opposite. We were extremely cold right now. Yeah. Yep, and we were, uh, we were setting up for that storm at the beginning of the guys, year. Yeah, you guys are getting ready to see a heck of a snowstorm. This year is kind of the opposite. We're going to be fairly mild this this go around. So, I was just getting used to these like 50, 60 sunny afternoons here in Charlotte. And now we're just going to have rain for like the next two days. Speaking of rain, you got those totals up, right? I do. So uh, if you thought it's, it rained a lot this year and you're no right. one was talking about drought, you're correct. And here's why. Because we had several systems come on through the Carolinas. And this here is, to date, the excessive amount of rainfall we have. The departure from normal. I know the numbers are kind of small, so I'm going to read some of them off. And then I'm going to bring in some of our panelists to talk about them. Because I think there's a couple things we want to show you here. Charlotte, plus 15 inches of, of rain. High Point, Greensboro, almost 20. Uh... Scotty, is this right? Does this say plus 73 inches? It does. In Jefferson? I'm, not, I'm not certain on that. That that state. sounds like a crazy outlier. Yeah, I'm not I'm not certain on that one, but I'm certain for everything else I've seen I see on this map. Yeah, well, I mean, so Blowing Rock uh, plus 30, Morganton plus 23, Len Lenore plus 18. I mean, I think Marion. Show Marion. Well, that, that's along the uh, escarpment though, right? I mean, that tends to get more doesn't yeah, it? but I, I uh, think Jefferson's just on the other side. It's, it's okay. more on the Tennessee it's not, side. It's not on the orographic lifting part portion of it where more rainfall would occur. No. Uh, but I mean, it's departures out, from normal, check, though. So that would always be there. Yeah, check out this right here. Marion, plus reason, 44. This is, le this is legit because for those who don't know, I work at Foothills Weather Network, and this is our co-op station that we run for the weather service. So I know this is legit. 95 inches of rain. We, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're pulling for it. We are because we have a hashtag road to 100. So we are hoping that we get a little more than uh, five inches of rain over the next couple of days. So I don't we know if can you can surpass get 100 inches. I'll give you one or two. I don't know if I'm going to give you five. <laughs> it's going to be close. It's going to be real, real close. Actually, I, you have this camera up. So yeah. pull, pull the camera back up. So you see the Christmas tree here um, where yeah. the car is going by. Uh -huh. You see that building right behind the Christmas tree? Yeah. Right behind that building is a little hill with an open field, and that's where our weather station is at. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, can you tell me about this? Oh, look, police cars going the other direction on Marion. Oh, yes. There's, hmm. a, good, there's a good restaurant right here, too. It's called we promised there'd be a cop block. Here it is. <laughs> Marion. Marion what's going on? Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um, all right. I, before I get to, uh, I want to talk about South Carolina excessive rainfall in a moment associated with Hurricane Florence. But Scotty, what is probably your number one reason why you think there was so much excessive rainfall measured this year in the mountains? So it starts back with, and my most memorable weather event from this year was the tropical storm or tropical storm Alberta. Mm -hmm. um, let's rewind because we had a discussion on my personal Facebook page a couple of days ago about how people wished it would stop raining for a while. And I reminded them just two short years ago, we were in the midst of a major drought and everything in Western North Carolina was on fire. I mean, it was wildfires galore. And in a short 
period of time, we went to the wettest year on record. So um, definitely we, we've seen that active storm track. We've had our fair share of tropical events this year with uh, Alberto, with uh, Florence and Michael. We all received five inch plus rainfall totals from, um, from each of those storms. Uh, we also saw the big snowstorm a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the equivalent, but I think it was close. It was over an inch, inch and a half of rainfall equivalent of, of what we saw with the snow. So um, also this area is, is prone to seeing those pop-up thunderstorms in the summertime that just kind of anchors on the mountains and it rains and rains and rains. So I think a combination of all that and plus Marion, Morganton, places like that is a prime location for upslope flow and that's where we we talk about the air rises as it hits the mountains it creates extra lift and it's like a sponge if you wring a sponge out it's kind of you get all of that moisture fall out right along the foothills so i think that also has a, a, a factor into it and but that's Alberto, what Jay was talking about right let me can i pull this let me screen share something for you oh, okay. i've got i've got i'm sorry this is kind of just i've got it saved um all right, hold on one second. Let me uh, open it right quick. So this was um, in a 15-day span. This was from May 15th, 2018 to May 29th, 2018. So this is, what, less than 15 days. Look at how much rain um, ha had been produced in, in that amount of time. That's eight, almost 18 inches of rain in McDowell County in, in just – less than 15 days. <laughs> so 20 inches up here in Jonas Ridge, um, 11 inches over Morganton. So you can see where the heavy rain from Northeast Georgia all the way through the upstate of South Carolina and the Western North Carolina, the foothills, in just a 12, 13 day time span, you saw 15 to 20 inches of rain. Uh, some of this from Tropical Storm Alberta, but also just a low pressure that, that produced a lot of rain. So, uh, and we've had numerous numerous events like this throughout the year. So that's why I think you're seeing a lot higher rainfall totals here in Western North Carolina. It's just the storm track has almost been perfect. It's, I hate to say it kind of punny, but it's almost been like the perfect storm this year. Uh, we've just been in that perfect track for low pressures to, to develop precipitation. And each storm we've got has not, you know, has produced at least an inch of rain or if not more, I mean, I can't tell you the last time we've had less than an inch of rain in, in a rain event, you know, you get those light rain showers, but we've not had that this year. Every rain event we've had is, is produced heavy rain. So um, I think that has really helped uh, increase those totals. And uh, Melissa, this is your territory. This is what you look at every day. I mean, I, I, I think you would agree with me that just the storm track in general has been perfect for Western North Carolina and the upstate of South Carolina. Yeah, we actually have a couple of stations in the upstate of South Carolina, and these are like our cooperative weather uh, weather network stations. So we have one in Caesar's Head that um, has 106 inches of rain already this year, and we have another um, Joe Cassie who's over 100 inches as well, 104 inches. And we've got some in the area that are really close. We've got a, a station up in Table Rock that's sitting right around like 93 inches. And a bunch of our co uh, our Cocoa Ross observers in, um, you know, Oconee, Pickens, Greenville, Spartanburg County 
over 70 inches, close to you know 90 inches of rain just from that area. And when you think about the year as a whole and how much rain we've had, a lot of the focus has been what's been going on in like the eastern portion of North Carolina and South Carolina, especially with the um, the totals that we had from Florence. But when you actually take a look over the entire state just to see how those totals have added up, you know, most of our really, um, the, the highest totals that we have are actually in the upstate. So it's, uh, you know, we've got a couple of stations that right now the preliminary data has them over, you know, you said the road to 100. We've got two in South Carolina right now that are over 100. And we'll have to take a look at that data to, you know, verify if that's the case. I'm not sure where they stand in the record, but I'm pretty sure they may end up being like the wettest year or close, at least the top five wettest years on record for some of these stations. Which is a good segue and reminder that in our time slot right here on the Carolina Weather Group next week and the week after that, you have two chances to catch our 2018 year in review. We're going to be looking back at all of these big weather makers of the year. So that's post-tropical storm Alberto, which brought all that excessive rain and flooding and that flash flood emergency to the North Carolina mountains. We're going to be talking, of course, about Florence, a little bit about Michael, some of our favorite interviews as well, too. All right, panel, it's 9.15 on our open mic night. Uh, before we run, any last questions, comments, or concerns to close out 2018 live? I just, I want to say as, as a meteorologist, um, communicator, the, the things that we wear as meteorologists and forecasters, um, that tropical storm Alberto, post-tropical storm Alberto, you're talking about the flash flood emergency. That was because of a potential dam failure. Uh, that is the county that I consult for meteorologists. Like they come to me when, when all heck's breaking loose. And I had this, just this sinking feeling in my stomach. And, and, you know, this happened back in May and I can still relive every second of what happened in that EOC to this moment. And to, to hear the, uh, the the officials up at Lake Tahoma call in and say, hey, we've had a mudslide on the side of the dam and the water is compromising it. And we're just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? How, how there, it Just the thoughts of just what come coming through my mind is just like there's like thousands of people in harm's way right now. And there's nothing I can do about it because if this dam fails, there's nothing we can do. So uh, and weather played a big rolling at that was uh, from post-tropical storm alberto so that was my takeaway and that definitely i think will probably go down in the top three biggest moments in my weather career and that happened this year we were talking about alberto so i just wanted to share that all right i'll, I'll go next uh my only advice um ending the year going to next year first i want to say merry christmas and happy new year to everybody that watches us and and hopefully warmest uh, kindest holidays for you this year, and uh, we hope everyone uh, has a great time. Be safe if you're driving. Be safe on all your decisions, weather related, and also be aware of legitimate sources that you're reviewing for weather. Um, you know, there's there's even an article today saying that Charlotte's going to get snow on Christmas. You know, you got to be careful of these things that you're reading out there. Go to trusted sources. You know, go. We're not going to steer you wrong here. We're going to use official information to to talk about what we're what we're doing. Um, so, you know, you have us, you have the weather service offices, uh, any official information you can get for weather, always lean on that first before just taking even just random newspaper articles that you see, especially on Facebook. Be very careful about that. But other than that, happy holidays, everyone. Anyone want to go next? Jared, Jared, Melissa, have anything they want to add before we wrap up? 
Well, you know, I uh, uh, thanks to everybody who's, uh, you know, again, who's uh, uh, watched us this year. I think uh, a lot of you are new to us uh, through Florence and other storms, and we hope that you've stuck around uh, when the weather hasn't been so bad. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, talking about hurricanes, it's, it's the off season. It's the best time to prepare. Um, you know, weather radio makes a decent gift. You might get some funny looks, but they're going to, you're going to be very happy that you have it when the uh, severe weather season really rolls around. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and, uh, you know, preparedness starts when the weather's nice, when the weather's good, because, uh, you know, you, you know, again, you know, you get seven days out and you might see something show up and, you might have something happen in two days. Sometimes these winter storms can be very difficult to predict, as we know, uh, in Charleston from the beginning of this year. And that snowstorm outperformed every expectation. So preparedness is key when it's nice out. You know, it's a good opportunity to review everything that you've got from a safety perspective. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, I echo Shay's uh, recommendations to make sure that you're listening for trusted people. Um, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yes, the polar vortex is coming to kill us all. And uh, we need to be prepared for that. And uh, I'm, I'm kidding. It will chase you down. It, it's it's going to chase you down. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, it's been uh, – I've been training for it. I mean, but, you know, so – but that's every, but it's up to everybody's uh, personal decision. So, anyway, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And um, Melissa has some final words. I'm going to let her bail me out of this. <laughs> so I kind of echo some of the uh, some of the things that have already been mentioned about making sure that when you're sharing weather information, you're doing it from a trusted source. And the best time to prepare is beforehand. Um, this, coming from Florida, used to preparing for hurricane seasons. Um, you know, your hurricane kit can also double as a winter weather preparedness kit. So if you still have some of those supplies that are left over, you might want to keep them handy. Um, and, you know, this was for me, I moved to South Carolina in June, so it was kind of almost like a trial by fire um, coming in and uh, having uh, having Florence hit and then Michael shortly thereafter that. Um, it, it's definitely been a, a fun year for me. Um, I've been thankful to, you know, participate on this group many times. Um, and the other thing that I'll mention that goes good besides a weather radio as a Christmas gift is a Kokoros rain gauge. And with that, I'll toss it back to Scotty. Thank you, Melissa. And I, I want to say thank you to all of you folks who have watched um, this year and the past couple of years. Um, you know, we wouldn't be doing this without you all. I want to thank all of our guests who have joined us this year. Um, you know, we, we appreciate them um, setting aside a few minutes of their busy life to come set with us and, and to give us great interviews. And um, I want to thank our panelists here. Um, all of this uh would not be uh, would not be able to happen without without them. So a big thank you to to Ricky Matthews and Shay Gibson and Jared Smith and Melissa Griffin and James Briarton, Peter Plenamente, Chris Jackson, um, Eric Prasius, um, all those folks who have joined us this year. Um, just a big thank you uh, from my bottom of my heart, and uh, just so appreciate you all watching. And we're excited for 2019. So. Just let me uh, give you a sneak peek of, of who's coming in 2019. Uh, we start off the year on January 9th talking with Pat Warner. He is the Master Control Officer at Waffle House Storm Center. If you've ever heard of the Waffle House Index or uh, the Waffle House Storm Center uh, that's been mentioned throughout the uh, hurricane season this year, 
Pat's in there. And so he's going to be joining us on the 9th of January to talk to us about what they do. We're also excited. We're going to be interviewing Ken Graham. He is the director of the National Hurricane Center. Uh, looking forward to that interview. And our new form partnership with WeatherStem and Ed Menasori will be joining us in February. And we're also going to be talking with uh, Robert Steinberg. He works with the Space Weather Forecast Center uh, that NOAA operates out of Colorado. So those are just a few guests that already lined up for 2019. And um, I'll tell you this, we're almost booked through April already. So uh, already excited about uh, what's to come in 2019. And uh, James, I'm going to toss it to you. Uh, I want to give you and uh, Jared a special shout out. You guys have really put in a lot of work this year uh, producing this product. It used to be just a YouTube. Now it's visuals and cams and um, breaks and breakout sessions. And uh, I just appreciate the hard work that, that you and Jared put into this. I know we're going to be uh, revealing some new graphics next uh, next year uh, that you and Jared have been working on. So I just appreciate y'all's hard work. And uh, thank you for for upping our game. I mean, uh, we have really stepped up this year. And I, uh, it all goes to you too. I uh, appreciate second, second you, Scotty. Yeah. I just appreciate all the, all the things you guys have have given up the late nights that you spent up working on this, and I appreciate it, and just uh, thank you. Well, we appreciate that as well, too. I'm sure Jared's thinking what I'm thinking, which is that we've got several more late nights coming up as we do prepare for 2019. All new graphics, website. Looking forward to your feedback as well, too. So if you're at home and you say, I would really love it if they would do X, or I would really love it if they'd stop doing Y, let us know. We'd love to uh, to hear from you. I certainly do echo everything you guys have to say. Appreciate uh, you guys letting us uh, tinker with this from a technical and producing standpoint. And I will just add a shout out to my wife who, just on cue, the baby has stopped screaming. 2018 is going to be about that little guy for me. Uh, she is uh, always manning him during these hours. And he was screaming his head off. And I thought that was going to be the perfect background noise to all of that. But um, he stopped. See, he's... He's a very, very good baby. So we will be back with more live shows in January. We will be a presence throughout the holidays. If there's severe weather or information, we need to relay it to you. We will be on the air. Again, we will also be debuting next week, a 2018 year and review, and we look forward to bringing that to you. We end tonight with more messages from troops overseas. We wish them and their families a very safe and happy holiday, and to you and yours at home as well, too. Good night. Hello, my name is Major Grubbs. I'm with Task Force Med, currently deployed to Kosovo. Just wanted to wish my family back home. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. I'm Staff Sergeant Abney from Saluda, South Carolina. Just want to say Happy Thanksgiving to my friends and family from Zagan, Poland. My name is Airman First Class Jared Hawley with the 39th Security Forces Squadron in Interlik Air Base, Turkey. I'd just like to take the opportunity to wish my friends and family a Happy Holidays in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm sorry I can't be with y'all this year, but my tour is almost over, and I'll be home real soon. Yo game, guys. Hi, I'm First Lieutenant Deidre Henry from the South Carolina Medical Detachment, currently deployed to Poland in support of Atlantic Resolve. I just want to give a shout out to all my friends, family, and the kids at Gibbs Middle School. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Love you, Mom. Go Tigers. From LUD to Air Base, Happy Holidays, Charleston. Hi, I'm Sergeant First Class Hamilton. Stationed with the 2nd ID at Camp Humphrey, Republic of Korea. I want to say hi to my mom, my sisters, Susanna and Alicia, my daughter, Sierra. I miss you very much. 
my son, Michael, um, all my friends and all my family throughout the country. I love you and I'll be home soon. Have a blessed day. Hello, I'm Master Sergeant Bernard Williams from Okinawa, Japan. I'm with the medical group, 18th MDSS Support Squadron. This is my wife, Contrice Williams, and my son, Jermaine Williams. We would just like to wish everyone back home in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and Albany, Georgia, a happy holidays. Hi, this is my son, Jones, from IUD Air Force Base, Qatar. I'd like to wish my family, uh, my mom, who is in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Merry Christmas, and my kids, um, uh, Javon, Janaya, and Jalicia, and Elijah, Merry Christmas also. Hello, Columbia, South Carolina. This is Captain Brian Gilkey, United States Navy at Al Udeed Air Base, uh, Qatar. I'd like to wish a very Merry Christmas to my beautiful wife, Marianne, and my daughters, Katie and Kristen. Hello, girls. I'll be home soon. Hi, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Sean Bellamy, and this is my family, and we're sending happy holiday greetings out to all of our friends and family back home. We love you, we miss you much, and we hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Happy holidays! Happy holidays.